podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAPE preparation and testing along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Take advantage of their November specials. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWH HVACTrainingSC.com to inquire. Hello and welcome to Lakeside Drive. In this episode, I'm going to discuss a bit of the fallout from the Australian Grand Prix. It's only been a week since the F1 circus hit Australia, but there has been a lot to talk about. Let's start at the end although it wasn't actually the end yet, which was kind of the problem. So this is the issue of the spectators at the Australian Grand Prix and the lesser known fourth red flag. This red flag I feel like is kind of the poor cousin to the other three because of the on-track trauma that they caused. But basically what happened was that spectators got on track in order to race to the podium. They climbed debris fences, they slid through gaps in fences, but the actual race, the one that they were all there to see, hadn't actually finished yet. Now, there was also the issue on top of this of Hulkenberg's Haas being stranded at turn two still with its light flashing, which means that it's actually still in an unsafe condition, potentially with electrical discharge, so at risk for anybody who goes near it, basically. There was also, although this isn't what the FIA is going to be concerned with, but there was also a lot of sign and equipment damage and things like that of great expense, um, which, like I said, not the FIA's problem, but disappointing to say the least. So do better, people. (laughs) This is why we can't have nice things. But ultimately it did result in the Australian Grand Prix Corporation being asked to report to the stewards, and this wasn't until quarter past eight on Sunday night, and it was found that the event organisers had breached the FIA's International Sporting Code and they asked that the promoter urgently present a formal remediation plan to the FIA. So they, the Australian Grand Prix Corporation that is, have admitted openly that that they had failed to meet the security and safety protocols that would have been expected of them um, in hosting a Grand Prix event. So we've heard from Andrew Westacott, who is the Australian Grand Prix Corporation CEO, and he has promised a thorough investigation and has requested to have until June 30th to produce this or to submit it for review. It's reasonable to ask the question why it's going to take so long for them to put forward a a review um, for submission, but if you think about it, they are going to have to trawl through security footage, they're going to have to identify exactly where the security breakdown happened. There have been reports of security cards like seeing what was happening and kind of walking away. Um, So we'll see what that footage actually reveals. Um, They're also going to need to consult with Formula One, with the FIA, and of course with Victoria Police as well. So the stewards have also referred the incident to the FIA World Motorsport Council as well for further investigation. And for them to identify really whether any additional steps need to be taken or penalties applied. So 
this might not be the end of it, even with um, with what we've heard so far in terms of you know being being penalised as a um, as a Grand Prix host. Ultimately, though, my opinion, I think this type of thing is just selfish. You know, it's fun for you until a driver who is cooling down their car tries to avoid a duck on track um, and they hit a person who is on the wrong side of that fence. It's one of those situations where you just want to grab someone by the shoulders and say, this isn't about you. You know, I understand that you want to get to the podium. I get it. It's fine. You're, it's fun. You think maybe even some of them thought the race was over, but that should have been then up to security to actually enforce the protocols that would have been in place. But when you do these types of things, you are compromising everyone, the drivers, the marshals, other spectators, and it also compromises future events as well. So very frustrating and just dis- I'm very disappointed. Come on now. Um, but I don't think we've heard the end of this just yet. Now let's turn to the penalty fallout. So obviously it was a dramatic and chaotic end to the race, which has left some people reaching for the rule book and other people Picking at straws, as Campy might say. So, sorry, Campy, there is no penalty for Gasly. So he will be racing at Baku. It's a pretty close call, though, and with only two points to go until he faces a race ban, and considering how an incident like Carlos Sainz did get him two penalty points, which we'll come to, he needs to be on his best behaviour. I also think that Gasly was actually really lucky not to run into the back of Alonso into turn one after the restart. I watched a quick replay and he just does not look in control of that car at all. But, you know, with the exception of a hefty dose of frustration and some embarrassment and, of course, free of any points that he might have been up for, he does walk off into the summer and we'll see you at Baku Pierre Gasly. The next penalty um, which I wanted to talk about, not actually a penalty but kind of fallout from the race, is the Haas protest which has been um, rejected. But to explain this properly, I think we need to do a quick recap as to why Hulk actually ended up where he did in the first place. So let's go back to the second red flag or just before that where we get K-Mag going full Tokyo Drift into turn two barriers. In comes the red flag and we get a standing restart. Now, there's much debate over whether or not that red flag was actually needed on this occasion. Many people have said that they probably could have cleaned up the debris that was left after that accident with a virtual safety car or safety car. Max Verstappen is one of those people, um, which very likely would have actually seen them finish the race under a safety car um, condition. But from an entertainment perspective, it's no good. And there's also been um, team principals saying that, you know, it should be a goal to try and finish under a green flag and it's not what the teams want. Chris Medland has actually written a good detailed article about this on racer.com, which is a great read and ultimately does leave me thinking that it was the right call to um, put that red flag in, clean it up properly, start again, and then finish the race. But that is 
with the idea that there wouldn't be any further red flags and no one expected the next restart. Now, if I put in my two cents on this one, um, I think they should have seen something else coming. You know, you've got tyres that have cooled down, the sun is in everyone's eyes, people are starting and then braking on low fuel, which is totally different to how the car will react and perform and behave at the start of a race. And it's so, so likely that something odd is going to happen. With that said, they've also been successfully run restarts in the last couple of um, laps of a race quite successfully, you know, and and they've achieved that goal of finishing under race conditions. So maybe I'm wrong. But anywho, (laughs) the standing restart, we then get Carlos Sainz, he bumps Alonso, Logan Sargent hits Nick DeVries and the Alpines collide. So we get another red flag and restart on the last lap. But the order for the restart was decided on the classifications before all those accidents happened. And that's where Haas comes in. I do have a point. (laughs) We're coming back to it. Haas, so Hülkenberg, had manoeuvred his way to fourth before the last red flag. But race control had said that the last point at which they could establish confidently the positions of all the cars was when the last grid was formed. And at that point, Nico Hülkenberg was in eighth place. So Haas lodged a protest suggesting that they could have established the order of the cars using timing data after the safety car two line. But that was dismissed. So that protest has been rejected and it was decided that the race director did the right thing by using the previous grid start because the first sector hadn't been completed by all cars yet and all cars is important um, when it comes to interpretation of this rule. That is what they did at Silverson last year after Joe's crash, which Alonso very quickly alerted his team and everybody else to by stating it quite promptly on the radio once he had got his car back on track. So while I think that it's really frustrating for Hülkenberg, who conceivably could have been on for a podium in this situation, I do think that the stewards and race directors have done the right thing in this instance by dismissing that protest. If they had suddenly decided that they actually could have decided the, you know, identified the the order of the cars based off timing data, we would all be screaming inconsistency and pointing to Silverstone last year saying, you couldn't do it then, why can you do it now? Why are things changing? Inconsistency, inconsistency, inconsistency. So I do think that they have have done the right thing in this scenario as much as I absolutely would have loved to see um, Hulk finish further up, up the grid and it's still a great result for them at the end of the day. What is really interesting as well is the fact that his car barely made it across the finish line. So I think it just shows um, just the importance of letting the race actually finish, getting as, ma- as many laps in as we can um, in, in racing conditions too. So, you know, just an interesting um, side note there. Back on the penalties and fallout from this week, um, we saw that Sainz obviously has received his five-second penalty, but he's also been given two penalty points as well um, on top of that that five-second issue. Now, the stewards are saying that he was wholly to blame for this collision um, and that there was a sufficient gap for Sainz to take steps in order to try and avoid the collision and he didn't take those. Um, what's really interesting with this is that there are so many articles out there saying it was really harsh. It's a lap one incident. It's just a racing incident, that type of thing. But I've read 
equal a number of articles saying this is actually exactly what was fair in this circumstance. Um, But what is interesting about those is that generally speaking, for the ones that are saying that it's fair, it's because of the chaos that came afterwards in terms of saying, you know, it was Carlos's accident that caused all of the other collisions. Um, My problem with that argument is that that's not why he got the penalty. He didn't get a penalty because there were so many onward issues resulting from from his crash um, or causing the crash. They just said it's because he was wholly to blame for this incident. He could have avoided it and he didn't. It has nothing to do with what came afterwards. The other thing, though, which we've seen less comparison to or kind of um, justification with or drawing on, I suppose, is that it's actually completely consistent if we look at Austin last year and George Russell had a five-second penalty for doing the exact same thing, kind of a close nick from behind which did cause the other car to spin, and the other car that he caused to spin in Austin was none other than Carlos Sainz. And he was actually on the radio saying, this doesn't seem harsh enough. Now, I know it's a bit different because he didn't at the, you know, he didn't have time in this circumstance to make that back. Obviously, he doesn't have time you know, in the last two laps of a race, especially because of how it did end, to actually try and make that back that penalty. So that's a slight difference to that scenario. But in terms of the, um, I suppose, the immediate the incident, who was at fault, lap one issue, the VAT, we've actually got precedent for that as well in a very similar circumstance. But the other comparison that people are drawing is the other accidents that did happen at around the same time in the race. So, for example, Logan Sargent didn't get a penalty for running into the back of Nick DeVries. Now, he's apologised for that, so obviously acknowledges that it's his fault, and he said that he locked up his front tyres and underbraking for Turn 1 after the last restart and said that there was nothing that he could do to avoid crashing into Nick. Um, that and this is what I find quite shocking, didn't even get investigated. So not even investigated and then decided there was a racing incident or a lap one incident. So they've been, you know, they've dismissed it for for being a bit more lenient on on lap one. It didn't even get investigated, wasn't even noted. So like others, I think, you know, Logan did obviously talk talk to or point to tyre temperature as being an issue for this. But, you know, it's to not even get investigated when you've gone straight into the back of someone else, which I think you would actually call just rookie error for not adjusting to the conditions, um, that I think absolutely should have been investigated. And, again, alongside a five-second penalty for another lap one incident, it doesn't look great. The other one, of course, is the Alpines. They've both agreed that it was a – both the team, both the – uh, drivers have said that it's a, they agree that it's a racing incident um, and there was no further action with that. And that one I think is is a matter of saying, well, it was caused by the one before it. Still though, you've got one car coming back on the track, um, trying to re-enter a race. And that is a situation which is really, really dangerous, obviously for them and for the cars coming behind them and trying to come through. And, you know, should that have been investigated um, and you know, should should Pierre have been found to be deserving of a penalty after that? So I think it's interesting because we want to look at all of these things in isolation. At the same time, they all happened alongside of each other, and we had kind of you know the full spectrum. We had one which was deemed to be <laughs> too harsh um, and getting you know the time penalty as well as penalty points. We have one which was investigated with no action, and then one that wasn't even investigated. So. I think that's where there's a lot of frustration 
that comes into it and that people can really feel for Carlos because it feels like he kind of got, you know, the short end of, of the stick. So the last thing I just wanted to to touch on was from our last podcast um, when it comes to news wrap-up. We talked about the impending review regarding working on the car and what that means. Now, the FIA did issue a sporting directive. The directive noted that for clarity and until further notice, in this context, the physical touching of a car or driver by hand, tools or equipment, including the front and rear jacks, during any such penalty will be considered to constitute work. So the use of cooling fans during a penalty is permitted, providing that any such fan does not physically touch the car. So basically when someone gets a time penalty during the race, bring it in, serve your time, and absolutely nothing can be touching the car. Otherwise they're going to have to serve that um, penalty again. So good to have the clarity there and we shouldn't be seeing any further issues with that unless somebody hasn't figured out what their timing process is. <laughs> They've got their iPhone out pressing start. We also They also widened um, the grid boxes this weekend by 20 centimetres following Ocon and Alonso's penalties for their grid position starting. So they've trialled also um, these centre lines um, during free practice, but I don't think I saw them um, fitted to the rest of the grid for the actual race. So it was something that they gave it a shot, see if it actually helps, you know, does it help you to line your car up appropriately? And they said if it did, then they would install it um, on the rest of the grid positions or the grid boxes. Um, but I don't think I saw that on the race. So maybe the drivers said, mm, nice idea, but that didn't actually help me that much, which is really how we should be trying to make adjustments um, for those types of things is coming up with ideas, seeing if it works. And if it doesn't, then we don't instate it. And if it does, then that is something that they can put into place moving forward. So I think that kind of trial and error approach to trying to resolve some of these issues when you get feedback from teams and drivers is, is a good way of going about it. Um, and hopefully we kind of see more of that sharing of ideas testing it out, seeing if it helps, getting that feedback from drivers, which is obviously really, really important because it's so hard for any of us to imagine what it's like when you're sitting so low to the ground with these giant wheels and then trying to park your car. Um, you're, obviously, that's going to be really difficult, so they need to understand what it's like coming from the person in the driver's seat. But that's it from me. See you next time on Lakeside Drive. We'll be discussing more news and events. Podcast Network.